Hey friends, it's me, Katie Ann, and your host to the Full Confidence Ahead podcast, where we go on a journey together tackling the fears of life from family relationships to finance, from careers to community and beyond. Today, you get to hear from one of my heroes and classmates, Gabrielle Shiozawa. Gabrielle plans to spend her whole life bringing people together through stories. She recently debuted her first book, One Breath at a Time, Lessons on Grief and Growth, in August 2021. You're going to feel the power of her words, and that, that's not just in the books that she's written, but also through our conversation here. She has some tips and tricks that just hit me deeply, and I think will hit you too. Gabrielle, I am thrilled that you're joining me today on the podcast. You are a person that I believe, and I say this with all honesty, you are so wise and so young, and I'm so impressed by you. But the thing that stood out to me the most is you have made, you've published your own book. So I kind of want to start here at our conversation. What is it like to publish your own book? How does it feel to hold a copy of your book? It's terrifying and (laughs) exhilarating and just the coolest thing in the world. I remember when I first found out that people were actually getting copies in the mail and they accidentally released it a little earlier than they were supposed to. So people were sending me pictures weeks before I knew it was going to be coming out before I even had a copy in my hand and saying, oh, "Oh, look what I got in the mail today. And I was like, oh, it's time to go into hiding. I'm this is real now. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, wait. So they released it before you anticipated it. Yes, they because so many people pre-ordered it that they started sending out copies before the release date. Oh my goodness, that is crazy. Okay, so there's already this sense of, okay, wait, I'm being vulnerable. I just published a book. And then suddenly it got published early. How did you deal with that? Honestly, I just had to be really nice to myself because I was like, this is really scary. I can't believe that I'm doing this. I, you know, because I felt so spiritually guided the whole time and I knew that this was something I was supposed to do, but it still was just terrifying. So I really just had to pray and be like, God, like, I know you're in charge of this. I know that you made me do this for a reason. So please just help me be okay with this. And it really just was a grace period. And what really helped was when I started getting positive reviews and when I started getting kind messages from people and realizing that it really was making a positive impact and that I was doing it for a good purpose. And that helped it to be okay. Okay, that makes me just want to think and and be the person. I, I hope I am that person who's giving the positive. I wish I was that person who gave you that first positive review. That just makes me stop and reflect like, am I that person? Because I think there's so many times in life because I view you as this totally confident girl. I would have never guessed that you were nervous when your book release, <laughs> which is totally crazy. Um, and that's probably how we view most people is this moment of confidence. But will you tell our listeners, can you kind of give us a brief overview? What's in your book? What's it about? Yeah. So in May 2019, three weeks before I was going to graduate from high school, you know, everything's on track. I'm getting excited for graduation. I took my dad on a run. And then when we got back, he unexpectedly went into cardiac arrest and passed away almost instantly. Um, And it was just something that was really traumatic and terrifying for my family. I had two little brothers who were two and eight at the time. I had a brother that was on a mission. I was about to graduate from high school. My mom had just barely graduated from college online. Um, And we had just so many things in the works for traveling and family plans. And I was getting ready to come up to BYU and our world just kind of shattered. 
and just trying to pick up those pieces and trying to figure out, you know, just saying like, I love you, God, but I really don't understand why this has to happen right now. And just grieving and hurting more than I ever knew I could hurt. I started writing a ton because I'd always used writing as an outlet and because I've journaled my whole life. And it was just a way for me to start processing what I was dealing with, you know, because I was having all these flashbacks. I was having a lot of struggles with PTSD, you know, there were just so many tender mercies that the more I wrote, the more I was like, I have to be able to share this with other people because that's the good thing that has to come out of this. If nothing else, the good thing that I have to make out of this is turning my pain into a purpose of being able to help other people who are grieving because I'd never heard anybody talk about it like this before. And it was such a life-changing and heart-wrenching experience that really opened my eyes to a different side of the world and has helped me to connect with so many other people as a result. That's incredible to me. Walk me through this process of how did you turn from this pain to be able to use that? I loved how you said pain to purpose. How did you get from A to Z there? Because there is at least when I've experienced pain and I've never gone through something that deep. So I can't even imagine where you began, began with that because I, whenever I have this moment of pain, I, I tend to go inward and I'm grieving and I'm just kind of trying to absorb as much as I can. But instead of absorbing, you were giving, you're giving your story, you're giving this opportunity for other people to grieve with you. How did you get to that point? I think that grieving softened me up and opened up my personality in so many ways that I had never been open before because it really was such a breaking, molding experience that I literally was just devastated. I, you know, laying on the floor, how am I going to get through the next few weeks of high school? How am I even going to get through this next hour because it hurts so bad? And when you're in that kind of pain, it, I just, I know that it really humbled me because. I was like, I have to ask for help. Like, I'm going to have to reach out. You know, I had friends that I'd call and I'd say, I've never asked you anything like this before, but can you come stay the night with me so that I don't have to be alone? Can you drive me to school? Can you come to church with me? Can you take me on a drive? I'm having a really hard time, you know, and just opening myself up to that kind of vulnerability and trusting people to help me and just recognizing I am so broken right now. I am so hurt. This is the weakest and the lowest I've ever been. I can't do this on my own. And that's what I think really helped me, just kind of cracked me open and and made it so that I had to lean on the Savior. I had to lean on other people and I could really see God's hand through those other people that were serving my family because those were such sanctifying experiences. That's incredible to me that you you opened up to other people. That's probably... I don't know a whole ton about grieving psychology, but I've heard that opening up and connecting with people, there's there's healthy and unhealthy ways to deal with stress. And that is so beautiful. But I also understand that's probably so scary to open up and to tell someone that you're hurting is hard to admit. Um, so I just want to say you are probably one of the bravest people that I know to have done that and be able to reach out to people and say, hey, help me. I need this. What would you tell someone who's kind of grieving right now? Who's at that point, they're ready to reach out, but it's, it's scary. How would you help them bridge that gap? I think like with anything else, things are only scary until you do them. Well, can you say that again? That was incredible. (laughs) Things are only scary until you do them. Once you take that first step, it's not scary anymore. And I've seen that in so many other ways in my life because I've struggled with anxiety throughout my life and specifically a lot with obsessive compulsive disorder. 
um, and that I'm actually going through intensive therapy for for the past few four months be, to rewire my brain because fear is such a huge motivator in our lives, but it's something that takes away from our values. It's something that takes away from experiences that we want to have. It's something that puts us in a shell, keeps us from connecting with people. And it it's as hard as it sounds, but you know, so I can't just say like, get out of your shell and go do scary things. But I think you really just have to take it a step at a time and be like, you know, what's something that's terrifying, but that's going to move me towards my values. You know, what's something that like, what do I need right now? And even if it's scary, what am I willing to do to get there? Like, I don't want to be alone right now. I'm scared to be alone right now. This is hurting, you know, and this is a new kind of vulnerability. But how can I be brave? Because the braver you are, the more proud you're going to be of yourself and the more progress you're going to see. That is probably the most beautiful and incredible advice. I also love that you've broken it down, that it's just that first step. Because sometimes when I, I want to be brave, I have this big, huge goal, like, oh, I want to be here. But I love what you just said on that smaller level. Being brave is that first step or is only scary until you have that first step and then you're already in it. Was that kind of what it was like for you once you've started to reach out, like you had that first step? Did you suddenly start to feel a little bit more confident as you were going along? Yeah, and it definitely wasn't perfect. I mean, I don't want anyone who's going through grief to think that it has to look perfect, especially because you don't have to be good at something you've never done before. But, you know, you know, because there were lots, there were lots of times when I felt angry or resentful or I would think... You know, you don't know what it's like to lose someone or you don't even know what I'm feeling. You know, there were all those hurt feelings still. But I think it was recognizing that Christ had followers who were imperfect, but he loved them and he let them in because he wanted to teach them and help them and because he valued their companionship even though they weren't perfect. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, right? We want to be there for people, but it's so hard to be able to support people perfectly. It's impossible. And so I think giving that grace to ourselves and to others is what makes us able to have those connections. This is beautiful, this grace of having, being able to go through life imperfectly. I kind of want to stay on that for a second because you said something novel is you don't have to be good at something the first time you do it. Um, And that, if I would have known that probably 10 years ago, I'm just imagining how much stress or pressure or negative thoughts I would have taken out of my own life. So I hope someone listening today really takes that in and hears what you said is you don't have to be perfect at doing something the first time. I think our society is kind of moving towards this toxic perfectionism, whether that's dealing with grief. I'm sure you had moments of, oh, I wish I was dealing with this better, but I love what you said. You don't have to be perfect the first time you do it. So how do you give yourself permission to and allow yourself to not be perfect in those moments? I think with anything else, it takes so much practice because if you're if you're a perfectionist like me and so many of us are, it's so hard to be kind to yourself. It's so much easier. You have We all have a double standard because you can look at somebody else and say, man, they're going through a hard time. They're doing the best they can. But you look at yourself and you think, oh, I know better. Why can't I do better? You know, it's ridiculous how hard we are on ourselves. And what I've really learned is that as much as you think that pushing yourself and being hard on yourself is going to help you get the results you want, it's really not. It's when you have the courage to be kinder to yourself and say, hey, maybe I need a break right now. Maybe I don't have to be good at this. Hey, I'm proud of you for trying. You kind of 
reparent yourself in a way, you know, where you see your inner child and you see that vulnerable, weak, striving person who really just wants to be so much more. And you say, I'm so proud of you for your intentions. I'm proud of you for what you're trying to do. We don't have to get there yet. Because I think so much of the time we go back to when we were kids and we'd try something, we try a sport, we try writing, and someone says, you're so good at this. And it was right off the bat. So you're like, oh, if I'm not good at something immediately, then I'm not going to be good at it. And we forget that so much of our lives are built up of, of practice and of failure and that those are all the ways that we learn. And that really is a beautiful part of being human. But we forget that and we don't let ourselves have that imperfection. I just want to pause and give a moment to our sponsors. Now, you guys, <laughs> I'm afraid of three things, and that's snakes, haunted houses, and going over my budget. And Utah Money Mons has helped me calm my fear of going over my budget through their free webinars and downloadable materials. Last December, they actually had a webinar for panic procrastinators, and it helped me stay in the budget and keep calm while I was getting all the gifts that I needed during the holiday season. They actually helped 86% of their followers create a financial goal. So head on over to utahmoneymoms.com or utahmoneymoms on Instagram to get your free financial confidence boost. I actually love what you said in that example with the child. If we tell a child, oh, you're so good at this, but obviously they're good at that at their three-year-old stage or their five-year-old stage, right? For example, riding a bike, it just flashed this image of a child on a tricycle where we say, wow, you're so good at riding a bike. And that's on a tricycle. We didn't mean necessarily they're doing the low to jaw a hundred miles on a bike, right? It's at their level where they're at. And maybe if we could learn to talk to ourselves and congratulate ourselves on the level we're at, we don't need to expect ourselves to be in that professional level, but like a child who's growing along the way, it's not being perfect, but it's, it's accepting everything where you are at that stage, right? Absolutely. I think it's, you know, I'm just remembering as we're talking about this, Another cool technique is to think about you the way that God sees you, because I think some of us grow up with this idea that God is scary or mean or you have to be perfect. You know, we have all these different versions of God in our heads that he's that we're building him up to be. But really, if you think about it, there's no sense of time when it comes to God. He's not impatient with us. He's just so happy that we're coming home. You think about the idea of the um I can't think of the word, the prodigal son. You think right, about yeah. the prodigal, you think about the prodigal son. He was just so happy he came home. It didn't matter how long it took. He's so excited to see us progress. You know, if we're all that three-year-old that's on a tricycle, he's like ecstatic that we're trying something new and that we're making progress and that we're figuring out how to use our bodies and that we're figuring out how to be brave because those are all steps to become like God. And it's allowed to take a long time. It's allowed to take our lifetimes and beyond. I don't know of anybody that died perfect because that's not what this life is about. It's about growing. It's about becoming more whole. I love that so much that this life isn't about being perfect. In fact, there really hasn't been anyone who died perfect, but I, two key words you said, it's about becoming and it's about growing. And I've recently attached onto that word becoming. And I fully believe that it's becoming, it's part of that growth process. Someone asked me the other day, um, if I was buying some watercolors and I've just started watercoloring a little bit. And they said, oh, are you an artist? And I was kind of embarrassed at first because my art probably looks like a three-year-old. I'm still getting there, <laughs> but I love it. But I told her, and I was so glad I did. I said, I'm becoming one. 
And I didn't even realize it came out of my mouth until afterwards. And then I wrote it down in my journal because that was such a powerful thing. And I wanted to apply that. And I've been imperfectly applying that to other aspects of my life now. But for example, I play the harp and people ask, are you a professional harpist? And I say, well, I'm becoming one, right? So rather than holding that, forcing ourselves to be necessarily this perfect, that we're becoming, I'm even finding this powerful self-talk in that word as well. Well, I love hearing this because it really says a lot about the way that you're talking with yourself and the way that you're being kind to yourself. So that's really cool. You know, I've also looked into some of the etymology or the word origin of that phrase in the scriptures, be ye therefore perfect, because that gives so many people stress. That's where so much of this perfectionism comes from. But that's not criticizing the scriptures. What we really want to do is break down each of those words because be at that time period, the way that is translated means to be in the process of becoming and therefore means eventually and through another process and perfect means whole. So if you put all that together, it's saying let yourself through another process or through Christ and through the trials of life and through all of the craziness that we go through, let those things mold you so that you can become whole and complete. I did not realize the origin of those words. That makes that whole phrase totally different because you're right. I've been on that side where sometimes you look at that phrase and you're a little bit scared because you think I'm not there. But if you break it down there, when you broke down those individual words, it's I'm growing to eventually become whole. And that that's so beautiful. Even in that grieving process, I'm thinking back to your grieving process of it probably was hard not to just feel like, why, why am I not okay today? Um, but that phrase automatically puts it into becoming and growing to be whole. That is just stunning. Just absolutely stunning. I want to go back to this idea of releasing your first book so young. Did you ever encounter negative self-talk with that saying, okay, wait, I am in my 20s. I'm releasing a book. Am I just tell me about that? Because I know I probably would. And I, I just want to hear your perspective. There, it's been such a complicated process. It really has, but it's also been so guided and so heaven led that I know that it's not just me, but I am saying that that's how I feel about a lot of the things I've been able to accomplish and about the way that this book turned out because it really is such a revelation and such a gift. And there are so many spiritual insights in it that even I go back and I look and it applies to things I'm going through and learning right now. I really feel like it was such a huge gift for me and for so many other people. And that process was crazy because I've wanted to be a writer my whole life. I always had this vision in my mind that I would write books, but I was thinking like Harry Potter, you know, I wasn't thinking a memoir, a nonfiction, an inspiration book. You know, I wasn't thinking about the creative nonfiction I do. I wasn't thinking about basically publishing a well-written journal, which is what my book essentially is. And that's terrifying. But I think God also knows what we want out of life. And he molds our experiences to be able to have the best version of that. Because just trying to write something like Harry Potter probably wouldn't have gotten me very far but writing this raw personal experience that's shaped my life and that has now helped to shape so many other lives and so many grieving processes, that's something that was very heaven-inspired and something that, even though it was really difficult, I remember 
during the writing process, during the editing process, you know, working with the publisher, this long two-year experience, you know, there were so many moments when I was like, I know that I need to do this. I know that this book I'm writing is important and it's going to mean something. But I also got impatient with myself by how long it was taking. I got impatient with the editing process because I thought I can't possibly make this what I want it to be. I got into perfectionism. I would cry. There were times when I would open up and look at the manuscript on my computer and I would just have to close it because I couldn't even face it. It was not an easy process. It truly was what they call a labor of love, you know, but that's what created this beautiful thing. So no part of it was easy, but no part of it was done alone either. That is incredible. That also was never done alone. And I just think your whole process of going through this, I don't think people understand how much you were also facing as you were publishing this. I think I see you as this incredible author, but there's also this journey along the way where, for example, you pulled up your manuscript and it was even hard to face then. And I'm just realizing it myself. I hope I view people and encourage them more often. I wish I would have been the one who was right there by your side saying, wow, that is an incredible manuscript because I think so many of us are probably going through difficulties that people don't even understand when people might look at us and say, wow, that's so brave of you to do, you know? Yeah. Some of those things other people don't even understand though. Some of those things you might look at it and be like, why weren't you just able to write things? It didn't have to be perfect, you know? From an outside perspective, there's so many things that for other people seem easy or they just, you know, or people don't have the same life experiences that you have. So I think some of that, too, is we have to give ourselves a pat on the back sometimes and be like, I'm so proud of you for getting through that hard thing. I'm so proud of you for accomplishing this because nobody else has any idea besides God what it took for you to get there. Nobody knows how much labor you had to put into that. So you got to be you got to be your own cheerleader sometimes like as amazing as it is to have other people supporting you in your life, you know, or to get positive reviews on a book or to have someone cheering you on and saying, this is great. You know, any of those things, you have to have that internal validation that says what I'm doing is good and worthwhile. And I'm proud of myself, even if nobody else is. I've heard this quote too, that confidence isn't knowing that everybody's going to like you. It's being okay if they don't. Wow. That is study. I love this idea of you being your own cheerleader because like you said, no one has the same experience of life. I am reminded of that old saying of you can't step in the same river twice is we all can't have the same experience in life. And so what's difficult for us and what's easy for us is all very unique and very different. And that just pulls me back to this idea of non-comparison because I think we're in this world, especially with social media being so amped up, it's so easy to hold yourself against someone else's standard. But what's difficult for them isn't difficult for me. And what's difficult for me isn't difficult for them. We'd have different strengths and weaknesses and we should celebrate that and be our own cheerleader through that. And for you, as you were facing this really deep trauma as well. There was probably extra difficulties that other authors maybe never will have gone through or will ever have to go through that you had to face while you're writing this book. So I think that's so beautiful and interesting that you point pointed up the two points of everyone's struggles are going to be completely different. And the other point of 
you have got to be your own cheerleader. And that is so cool to me. Do you have any tips of how do you do that? Like if I, if I want to encourage myself better, how do, how do I even start that? Something I've been learning a lot about in OCD therapy, because this is a huge thing in OCD, but it's also a huge thing just in life in general for everybody, is cognitive distortions. And for people who don't know anything about that or are just slightly unfamiliar with it, those are basically ways that our brain malfunctions, I guess, you know, because the brain is an organ that can malfunction like any other organ. And that's why we have so many mental disorders and problems like that, even though they're hard to see. But cognitive distortions happen to everybody where we see things, maybe we see things as black and white, or maybe we overgeneralize things, or maybe we say, oh, because this happened, that also indicates this. Like, because I failed this math test, I'm also a failure. Or because they didn't invite me to their birthday party, I'm annoying and sociably unwantable. You know, some of these things sound r- ridiculous, and some of them you can, you hear other people say them, and you're like, that's not realistic. But in yourself, a lot of those things are hard to identify because they're, you know, it's inside your head. You know, you don't realize that these thoughts aren't coming from you. You know, they're just thoughts that you're processing or or ideas that are coming into your head, you know. So cognitive distortions are a big thing that's helped me, actually, as crazy as that sounds, because learning to understand how your brain works and how it malfunctions helps you work around that, right? Because you're able to think, oh, I'm feeling really self-conscious. I'm afraid I'm going to go into class and I'm going to say something and people are going to think it's stupid, Um, I'm afraid I'm going to wear this outfit and people are going to think it looks bad, you know, and sometimes you look at other people and think, oh, that's a funky outfit or, oh, that's kind of, I don't know if I would have said that, you know, but we're not nearly as harsh on other people as we are on ourselves, you know, so it really is just taking a step back and being like, dang, this might be a cognitive distortion because it totally sounds like it is. This might be my brain trying to protect me, but actually just being a helicopter mom, you know, and so you can practice saying those things like oh yeah maybe i look ridiculous in this outfit but that's that's okay maybe other people don't like it all right it's not really my business what anyone else thinks you know and you think through these things and you practice these things and none of that comes easy but a lot of it takes practice and the more you do it the braver you become it's just like those other things it's only scary until you do it right it's only scary until you take that first step but a lot of that with confidence is the same is oh yeah i'm going to say something silly in class because that's what comes to mind And other people might think it's dumb, but people are going to forget about it. It's being realistic about those things because our brains are only trying to protect us when they fill us up with all these fears. You know, I mean, your brain really does mean well, but some of that stuff is just evolutionarily not needed anymore. We don't need to have that kind of fear and that kind of closed off way of living because that inhibits so much connection. You know, the, the, the weaknesses that I've found in myself and being able to work on accepting that I am imperfect and weird and that I'm not always going to get things right. That's what helps me connect with other people. That's what helps me have grace with myself and others. That is so novel for me right at this moment. I think accepting what you were saying that these cognitive, what's the word again? Cognitive Cognitive distortions. Distortions are part of our brain's function. And we can just embrace that and say, thank you. Thank you, brain. Thank you for giving me fear. I understand that you're trying to protect me, but that's not real right now. So there's kind of those two points of the coin that you're saying right there is embracing and saying, hey, body, you're working. That's great. You don't need to work like that right now. So we're just going to ignore that thought rather than 
kind of attacking yourself and saying, why am I thinking these? Why can't I get over these? Embracing, loving, and changing those thoughts. I wish I would do that way more frequently, but I love how you pulled it back to your same thing is at the beginning, you don't have to be good when you start. So I'm going to start today searching those thoughts because I think we all have them on different frequencies, but for sure, we all have a moment where you walk in and you're like, oh no, did I really just wear plaid on stripes today? (laughs) You know, (laughs) or whatever you say, or did I really just say that out loud or whatever it is? I think we all have those moments. And for some people, it's more frequent than other, but just starting for me, I'm going to start today just pointing those things out and embracing my brain and saying, thank you for giving me fear. No, thank you. We don't need it right now. And it's going to be okay. That's something I'm going to start working on today. That's was something I definitely pulled out from there. I'm so glad because really, I like the way you're putting this too, like saying thank you to the fear and you know being able to accept those things and be grateful for them because emotions really are just messengers. And as often, I think so much of our problem, so many of our problems in life come from running away from things, right? Because there's a lot in life that's so scary and heavy and hard to discuss, you know, things like grief or sadness, or even just the anger that you may feel sometimes. Like these are uncomfortable emotions. And a lot of us, I hope some people learned growing up how to emotionally regulate, but that's something that I feel like I was behind on and that I'm learning a lot more now is how to say, okay, I'm feeling anger right now. I feel it in my stomach. You know, this is uncomfortable. This is painful. But what's it trying to tell me? Because maybe at the core of my anger is really sadness or hurt feelings, you know, and I can just kind of give those feelings a hug, so as to speak. And it really does sound like such a silly, drawn out process, you know, but it's your inner child that's trying to process this world. And by having grace with yourself with those emotions, you start to feel a lot more confident with yourself because you're realizing everybody feels like this sometimes. Everybody struggles with things sometimes. And I don't think that any of them have to be perfect. So I don't have to be perfect at this either. That is really interesting that you talked about emotions as messengers and also as fear. And that's so true. Rather than trying to give a positive or negative perspective on emotions, just accepting them as messengers and dealing with them and being more present with them. Um, I loved what you said about fear too. I, I tend to have this unique perspective on fear where I believe it's a tool and it can be used for positive or negative in our lives. It's kind of just something that's going to be there. It just is. We're all going to have to face it. But I've noticed that a lot of my most positive circumstances in life came out of the fear. For example, I don't know if a lot of people know about me, but with finances, that came from a very strong root of fear that I was going to go into debt. And I think people see me as this person who loves to talk about budgeting, but they don't realize the opposite side of the coin that that actually stemmed from a moment of deep fear, that I used that fear to propel me into a class on finances to learn and to master that fear. And now that fear has turned to confidence. And I think when we learn to master our emotions, using them as messengers rather than judging them, saying this is bad, this is good, just kind of being present, recognizing it's there, and then utilizing it like you were talking, we can master our emotions better and just live a more positive filled life and be able to take more control over over your circumstances. Absolutely, because we're acting proactively. You know, I loved what you were saying about your fear of finances and how that's turned into such a big strength for you. Because I think sometimes we read in the scriptures, you know, Ether 12, 27 talks about how 
God's going to turn our weaknesses into strengths. And that's honestly such an abstract concept. Sometimes you read that and it doesn't make a lot of sense. Like, how is he possibly going to do this? But I think through our life experiences, we can totally see that happen all the time if we let it. Like what you did, you had to take action with finance to be able to become confident in it. But so many of my weaknesses are the very thing that give me strength because understanding how often I've had problems with mental health and how often I've felt embarrassed or weak or lonely or, you know, and just struggled with like social anxiety, just those things help me to have so much more empathy for others because I can walk into a room and say, instead of being self-conscious about myself, I can worry more about how others are feeling. You know, in the newsroom, I remember being younger than everyone else and scared and not knowing what I was doing there. And so when I see new editorial assistants come in, I'm totally there to mentor them because I'm like, I remember what that was like. Those weak experiences are what help us become so strong for other people. Those weak experiences with my grief that broke me to the lowest level I've ever been, that's what helped me to connect with people. That's what gave me this beautiful book I've written. That's what helped me develop so much strength And not only in the things I've been able to overcome, but also in looking at myself and being able to recognize how strong I've become. That gives me so much hope. And also just looking at you as a person who's used their grief and their difficulties to make yourself better rather than bitter. Because I think we probably all have that moment in our life, at least one point where you, you faced something difficult. I'm sure this will happen probably to us multiple times in our lives. You have grief, you have these tragic moments on whatever scale, whether difficult like you losing your dad so unexpectedly, especially at this pinnacle of your life, or on a lower scale, getting a paper cut, you know, whatever grief you have, you have this choice of, okay, am I going to be better from this? Or am I going to be bitter? And you can use that to have empathy to connect with other people or you can use that to close off. And I love how you have guided us through this conversation and how to utilize those things that are difficult in your life for not only the benefit of yourself and growth, and like we talked about that word becoming, but also to reaching out and connecting with other people. You are just an inspiration. I think to all of our listeners here, but especially to me, and I am walking away today with things that I am starting now just to recognize my emotions as a tool. I'm going to think and think through my thoughts and recognize when they're distant or when they're dysfunctional. And I love what you've given me. And I want to give you one last question that we ask all of our, our guests here on the podcast is what is one piece of advice you would give your younger self to give yourself confidence? Oh, okay. It's hard to distill it to just one thing. You can say multiple. Um, (laughs) Um, I might say a few things then, and you can pull from what you like the best. Um, Like I said earlier, you don't have to be good at something that you've never done before. So give yourself grace. Recognize that no one else knows what they're doing either. Recognize that no no one starts out perfect. No one starts out already knowing what they're doing. But the progress you're making and the example you're setting, those things all matter. You're allowed to enjoy this life. You're allowed to love yourself and your life's going to go smoother and it's, you're going to feel happier the more kind and open and vulnerable and authentic and confident you let yourself feel because we really are in this life 
to make mistakes. That's part of our purpose of being here is to learn and grow through making mistakes. So even in this process of becoming confident, even in this process of becoming who we want to be, we can still set too high of standards for ourselves. And it's great to have that vision of what we want to become. But in the end, you have to be willing to do the work and have the love for yourself to be able to get where you want to be. And you are capable of doing that. I think a lot of times the feeling of fear comes from a lack of control in our lives. And our sponsor, PowerPay, is offering a money master course that's normally $40 for free to all Full Confidence Ahead podcast listeners so you can take control of your finances this year. The course is video-based and gives you real-life money smarts. So to claim your course, go to extensioncourses.usu.edu slash Pal, which is K-A-T-I-E-A-N-N-P-O-W-E-L-L, and it'll automatically add the money master course to your cart and you just click check out and you'll get it for free. You can also access your course by going to extensioncourses.usu.edu and finding the Money Master course under the finance category, then using the code KATIEANN, K-A-T-I-E-A-N-N, with no spaces, to claim your $40 discount and free course at checkout. So let's master our money together. Thanks for listening in on the Full Confidence Ahead podcast. Weekly on Tuesdays, we'll continue our journey of confidence together through new interviews and insights. Make sure to hit the subscribe button to stay up to date on the latest conversations and confidence boosts. And by the way, you got this because you deserve to live life full confidence ahead. See you next week.